Hey everybody, and welcome to another new episode of Magic with Zuby. My name is Zuby, which I'm sure and hopefully by now you've guessed. And before we get on to the meat of the episode, I'd just like to give a little shout out to mtgcast.com. They have been an awesome website, an awesome podcast network especially for Magic the Gathering podcast to really help little people like myself get out there and get known. And I just want to say thanks, guys. I appreciate it. You're helping the little man like myself. And you can get a hold of me on Twitter. My Twitter handlers are at Magic with Zuby is for the podcast and my personal one is at zubatron z-u-b-a-t-r-o-n you can catch me tweeting about random stuff about magic or random stuff about me destroying networks and stuff like that and you can also come to my lovely awesome website magicwithzuby.com i did buy the domain yes I think I've mentioned this before, but please go visit the site. I write at least one to two articles a week, you know, usually about what my life in standard and modern are going. And I like to write some deck texts of decks that I'm playing and sort of describe why I put in what I did. At least I try to, at least, you know, you know how that goes. And if you would like to email me, my email is mtgzuby at gmail.com I think for a while there I was given off the wrong email address magicwithzuby at gmail.com and I just don't know what my own email address is because I'm really smart like that so just remember if you would like to email me or if you would like me to answer any questions and I can read them on the podcast it's mtgzuby at gmail.com so today's episode features a pretty cool dude named Alec and he heard my last podcast about how I wasn't so excited with Shadows of Innistrad and how the set so far was kind of eh to me you know I just wasn't very excited so he sent me a message saying hey you know I'd like to debate with you about that and get you excited about the set so I'm like all right bring it on bro not like that really but you know, I was just like, all right, cool, let's do this. So the whole interview that you're about to hear is about him convincing me that Shadows of Innistrad or Shadows Over Innistrad is an awesome set, which, you know, I do have to agree. It's pretty cool. I'm excited about it, but I'm still not to that point where, oh my gosh, I've got to buy a box of it. Not yet, at least. Since at the time of this recording, only like 79 cards have been spoiled out of the 270 something. So we will just have to wait and see. So, all right, guys, here's the interview. Hey, how's it going? Hey, how's it going, man? Hey, not too bad in yourself. Not bad at all, not bad at all. Can you hear me all right? Yep, can you hear me okay? I can, yes. All right, awesome. Awesome, so how are you doing tonight? 
Doing all right. Doing all right. It's been a been a busy weekend, but uh, otherwise, it's not too bad. Not too bad. What you been up to? Uh, well, let's see. This weekend, a uh, little bit of F and M last night, and then um, just been doing some work around the house and uh, taking care of kids. You know, the whole nerd dad thing going down. Oh yeah how how many kids do you have? I have two actually. Uh, two daughters. Uh, one is three, and the other is two months. Oh, so. nice. Brand new. Yeah, brand new. Brand new babies. Oh, man. I don't miss those days. <laughs> <laughs> I've got I've got two daughters, too. One's 12 and one's six. Oh, so, no kidding. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Any advice? <laughs> um, Let's see. Get used to going down the girl aisle. No matter yeah. how hard you try to get them into boy toys, they're somehow, someway, they'll still be going towards girl toys but eh, it's fine <laughs> you do what you gotta do right yeah Either way. <laughs> get, get get used to playing tea party that's all i gotta say hey i'm i'm down with that whatever i gotta do you know <laughs> yeah yeah oh it start getting your three-year-old into magic now just start showing her like the pretty cards give her your crappy commons oh i already have in fact uh <laughs> she really actually likes the uh the uh oversized cards from that come in the commander sets oh yeah she loves the big shinies, so I'm already starting to work at it, much to my wife's chagrin, but I'm I'm starting to work at it, you know. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I get my six-year-old, Um, I built, like, these dual decks that I made oh, yeah. for us, it just goblin versus elves. They're really, really simple decks. Nice. And um, we play that, you know, every once in a while. And, um, of course, I let her win most of the time, you know, just so she keeps playing. I don't oh, wanna... totally. <laughs> I don't want to beat her butt too badly. Though I will say, the only game I will not go easy on her is Mario Kart. I refuse. Uh, well, you, you got to you got to at least teach that at an early age. That you know, yeah. it, it, it's Mario Kart. You're going to lose. I mean, this is this is where we live. Is Mario Kart? Now, the important thing is Mario Kart on what console? The Wii U. Wii U. Okay. All right. That's not bad. I like the Wii U version. Oh yeah, it's a lot of fun actually. Yeah. Um, no, there's there's actually one game she has legitimately beat me at, and that was Smash Brothers, the new one. Really? Yeah, she, oh, um, a... oh crap, I think she was playing the boxer, Little Mac. Yeah, yeah. And actually beat my ass. Just like, I'm just, oh, of course, she's just smashing buttons and all that, and I'm just trying to do, you know, actual moves, and I'm like, I can't fucking beat you, what the hell? <laughs> Well, that's the beauty of Smash Brothers, right? I mean, you can you can be an incredibly intricate pro and know all the combos, but you come against the right person who knows how to button mash in the right way, and it's it's still a game, man. It's still a game. I uh, know. I was thinking of taking her to the next Masters or whatever pro tour. I don't know what the hell. Yes. <laughs> I don't. Know. I don't Do follow it. that at all. But no. I don't. There, there there are some professional gaming that I like to follow, but Smash fighting games in general, not really my taste, but. Uh, it's probably just because I'm bad at them, but either way. And uh, what um what professional gaming do you like to follow? Uh, well, obviously Magic. I follow a lot of Magic. Uh, I was into Hearthstone for a while, kind of taking a break from that one. Um, the other one that I follow pretty closely is as League of Legends. Uh, I used to play. I don't play much anymore, but the pro scene still is very interesting to me. I uh, used to. There was a whole year there where i was like really into league of legends this was like three four years ago 
and I got super into it, and I started watching the pro scene too, but I just fell out of it. Yeah, I fell out of playing. For some reason, like, when you got... The way I feel is when you get to a point with a game where you can't play without getting, like, visibly angry, yeah. then uh, it's time to start stop playing. But, you know, like, League of Legends, the way they do their professional scene is really how I see esports could be in the future. So I like I like to see what they're doing because they really do feel kind of on the cutting edge of esports, and I, I want to see where that goes. It, it's really interesting to me more than anything else. But yeah, I, I don't play League anymore, and I can't say that I miss it, but I definitely <laughs> enjoy watching it. <laughs> yeah, the thing that eventually got me to stop was it just games take too long. Oh, absolutely. And it's as I'm getting older, I'm finding it harder and harder to have time to really sit down and play. And just playing like at least one thirty to forty five minute game, and I'm just like, well, shit, I gotta go do something else now. Yeah, especially with kids, man. I mean, that's yeah. like you you can't expect a kid to to sit there for you know. Okay, now you're gonna sit here for three hours while Daddy plays three games of this. Although it might just be two if one of these goes beyond an hour. So you know what? <laughs> you just just entertain yourself for a little bit here. No, that's just insanity. But yeah, yeah, no, no league was definitely not my speed anymore. But yeah, I used to follow the StarCraft scene like religiously Brood War all the way up to StarCraft 2 went before the I stopped following it when the first expansion came out. But I was like religious about it for years. No kidding. Man, yeah. I, you know, I've watched it a few times and I feel like that I would really have to just like you say, intensively study it to know exactly what's going on. It's so cool. I love watching those guys play because I know that I could never do that at the level. Oh yeah, but it's uh yeah that's intense, man. StarCraft two, any any kind of strategy game like that just feels way too intense for me. But yeah, I'm... what what got me into it was um I I played StarCraft one when I was a kid and I was I loved it I was obsessed with it, but it wasn't until two thousand five when I went to South Korea. And I had no idea that StarCraft was even a thing over there, you know, like yeah. the, the gaming scene, until I saw there were two, um, like, cable channels dedicated to just StarCraft games. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? So when I get back to America, I started reading up, like, there's this whole pro scene, and that was it. I was addicted. Oh, man. Yeah, no, I've heard about it. I mean, I've, I'm kind of jealous that you've actually been able to go. I've always wanted to go to South Korea, but... um. Yeah, no, just and especially well, I mean, in every pro gaming, it seems like the South Koreans just kick everybody else's butt at everything. But StarCraft, especially, like that's like a religion for them. It's insane, dude. It's not just pro gaming; it's like everything they do in their lives. They're just, <laughs> it's like they're the best at it, and I it, it's it's a whole culture thing too. Yeah, because I went over there for martial arts. I used to do um, Taekwondo a lot. Oh, sick! And um, I went over there to compete, and you know. I don't want to say like, oh, I'm super awesome and everything, but you know, I've won a few tournaments, you know, in my day. But when I went to Korea, <laughs> it was like I was a white belt all over again. It's like, wow, these guys have been doing it since they came out of the womb, and I'm oh, just man. absolutely terrible. <laughs> That's always depressing, isn't it? When you feel like you're really, really good at someone, and then you just come up with against somebody who's been doing it even longer than you feel like you've been alive and it just destroys you. Oh man. Oh, and I, I, like I've never had that big head about it, but I thought I was like always decent. And then when I went to Korea, it was such a humbling experience. Like, yeah. wow. So I need to, you know, actually dedicate my life to this, but 
you know, I was I was already going to college and all that, and I couldn't focus on like that because there's no money to be made in martial arts here unless you go pro fighting. Right, or or I guess if you open your own dojo or something like that too. But that's uh, I'm sure that's another mess and a half in and of itself. So oh yeah, it's such a cutthroat business owning martial arts schools. Oh, I'm sure. I'm yeah. sure. I had a friend who owned one and. You know, I helped him out and all that, but damn, just all the stories he would tell me just running it day to day, like, holy crap, you got to deal with all this bull crap, and I, I don't even know. That's <laughs> terrible. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, man. So, let's see here. Oh, you know, we never even introduced you. Uh, do you want to go by Alec or? Yeah, Alec's fine. Uh, I'm, that's what I go by everywhere else. Full name is Alexander, but call me Alec. That's what everybody else calls me. So okay. that, that's what I'll go by. That is just fine. Okay, that's cool. So I made, I'm sure you heard my previous podcast where I haven't been too crazy about Shadows of Innistrad so far. Yeah. And um, I guess I just wanted to hear what you had to say. Like, I guess try to convince me why I should be excited. <laughs> well, that's going to be my goal. And, and, you know, the biggest thing is, uh, let me just let you know where I'm coming from when it comes to this set. Um, you know, I started playing Magic back in uh, in the tail end of Shards of Alara block. So I would consider myself, you know, not, not that old of a player, but really not that new of a player either. You know, I kind of fall where a lot of people would call the middle yeah. of that, or it feels like it. I know you've been playing much, much longer than that. Um, but Innistrad, I remember when the first Innistrad set came out, and you know we were just coming off of Scars of Mirrodin block yeah. uh, and New Phyrexia, all of that goodness. And it feels like in the first Innistrad, you know, Wizards, and specifically R&D, really cranked the the lore and the feeling behind the set up to 11. I mean, I remember especially just opening my first packs of Innistrad and, and looking at the cards. And, and that was the first set where I really paid a lot of attention to the spoilers leading up to. So we, you know, we all knew that Liliana of the Veil was going to be insane and Snapcaster oh, yeah. Mage and all of these cards that came out of Innistrad. And, and I just remember especially just the flavor and the feeling of the first Innistrad being insane. And uh, obviously the, the draft format too. Like I'm a big drafter, big heavy drafter. Um, and Innistrad and Dark Ascension, not so much Avacyn Restored, but those two were some of the best draft formats I've ever done. Um, so when Wizard said, you know, hey, we're going back to Innistrad, instantly the nostalgia just rose back up in me, thinking about, oh man, that was the first set where I really fell in love. You know, I, I loved the game up until that point, but it was just a game. But once Innistrad got here, it was it was like it was the first set where I dove deep. You know, I, I knew the story, I knew the characters, so it was just a welling up of nostalgia in me, and so you know that fuels some of my excitement for it. But yeah, the, no, I, yeah go well, ahead. Um, I was just gonna say no, I can definitely understand that. Um, like if they did a return to Dominera or something, like oh, I'd yeah. be I'd be so stoked about that because. I said Urza's Saga was my first set, and, you know, I was there, I mean, I wasn't too deep into Magic at the time when Innistrad came out, I was just still, I, I was kind of casually playing it off and on, mm. so I, I liked the set, I liked the um, mechanics of it, but I guess just thematically, I've never, I've never really been, I've never clicked with the whole vampire werewolf type thing. So like the whole gothic horror thing just doesn't really speak? 
that much to you or anything like that. Not really. I mean, it's it's enjoyable. Like I, you know, I like some of those movies like Underworld and Blade and all that. And but I've just never, like I said, I've just never been that big on it. I got you. I got you. And yeah, and like I said, the, the nostalgia is kind of just what. And like when you first, when I first heard, you know, Shadows of Overdrive was the new set. I first saw the new trailer. The nostalgia was definitely what got me excited at first. But what really got me excited was three spoilers that they've done so far in particular um and i call them the big three and and the reason why i do that is because if you think back to original innistrad right we had kind of a big three in innistrad as well we had liliana of the veil we had snapcaster mage and we had geist of saint Traft. you know those three cards basically define that format in standard but they had implications so far beyond standard and have become staples in modern uh, legacy in some respects. Uh, I don't know if they've too many of them have made the transition over to vintage. I think they still play Snapcaster Mage in vintage sometimes, don't they? Um, I don't. It know. might I, be a little too slow for vintage. I'm not sure. Yeah, I have. I don't follow vintage that much, so yeah. I'm not really sure. I, I know Snapcaster definitely sees playing vin- or not vintage legacy. Yeah, cer- I know that. certainly. I mean, Snapcaster Mage is. I mean, all you got to say is Snapcaster or Snappy, and everybody knows immediately what card you're talking about. Yes. Uh, so, but when I look at Shadows over in Estrada, and spe- specifically the cards that they've spoiled already, I kind of see another big three here. I see three cards that could potentially have the same kind of effect uh, that those three cards from the original Innistrad had. And I think that's what's fueling my excitement even more is seeing, oh, we're going to get this again. We're going to get three cards that really not only define standard, but could define other formats going forward. Uh, and to me, those three cards are Thing in the Ice, uh, Archangel Avison, and Relentless Dead. You want to go over on um, what all three of those cards are? Absolutely. Uh, let's start with Thing in the Ice, because honestly, this is the one I'm the most excited about. And I know you and, uh, and the guests that you had on in your last episode were kind of, kind of mentioned it. Um, but just to refresh, Thing in the Ice, uh, is a 0-4 for one and a blue. It's a defender, uh, and it enters the battlefield with four ice counters on it. When you cast an instant or sorcery spell, remove an ice counter from Thing in the Ice. If it has no ice counters on it, transform it. And it transforms into Awakened Horror, which is a 7-8. And when this creature transforms into Awakened Horror, return all non-horror creatures to their owner's hands. So this card gets me super excited because I don't know about you, but in my heart of hearts, if I really look down and say, what kind of magic player am I? I am definitely a control player. You know, I, I... Dig control decks. I've always loved control decks. Grixis was one of the first decks that I got competitively into my hands, and I've never looked back since. Um, And so Thing of the Ice just immediately gets my control player juices flowing, especially since we haven't really had a control deck uh, in standard since since we've been in uh, in Zendikar. It feels like we haven't really had a full control deck. Do you kind of feel the same way or Yeah, no, I agree. There's um I've seen some variations of especially in my local game shop, people trying to do like Esper control, you mm-hmm. know, try try to like Esper Dragon control. 
um, like they had before Origins came out. Right, right. And, like, um, it's with just Dragon Lord ne- Digitai and all that goodness. Yeah, and it's just never felt the same. It's um, It just doesn't seem to work. It just seems to die too quickly. Absolutely. Or just not enough answers. Right, and that's the problem. You know, the format sped up. It was already, you know, a decently fast format with cons. Cons was a, a pretty fast format. You know, Siege Rhino on turn four, that's fast. That's a fast clock. Uh, it applies pressure right away. It's, it's beatable from a control side of things, but it's it's hard to fight against. Well, uh, Oath of the Gatewatch and Battle for Zendikar just really sped the format up even further. It's like oh, yeah. you either have to go... You know, with what the Eldrazi deck's coming out, it's like, okay, well, either you're ramping into something huge or you got to be fast enough to kill your opponent before they can ramp out something huge. So control decks have kind of taken a back seat to that. Uh, and what I think the biggest problem with control decks now, especially blue-based control decks, decks, is we don't have a whole lot of early action. Thing in the Ice is our early action. If you look at it, an 4 for two mana... That's already not too bad. I mean, it's going to block your early red decks pretty effectively. Uh, it's going to hold the ground down for you for a little while until you can get something going. It's got four toughness, which is better than the two toughness we've had to work with in the past with Jace. Yeah. Not to say Jace is a bad card, because Jace is amazing. And the $70 price tag proves Jace is amazing. Oh, he's gone up. Oh, has he? Oh, yeah, he, he's over 90 now. I'll just look at the ones that I have and say, thank goodness I don't have to buy you anymore. Yeah, <laughs> just, I know. I know what you mean. He's, just, I, I feel like he's going to go up even more when Innistrad comes out. Oh, ridiculously so. Madness? Are you kidding me? Yeah. I mean, it's just going to, he's just going to go through the roof. Um, but honestly, I think Thing in the Ice is even better for a control deck because it's an 04 that's going to block for you early. But then. What it's asking you to do to transform it into the thing that you eventually win with, you're going to be doing anyway as a control deck. You know, It comes yeah. in with four ice counters on it, and every time you cast an instant or sorcery spell, you're taking one of those off. Well, as a control deck, all you're doing is casting instants and sorceries. You know, whether that be counter spells, whether that be kill spells, uh, some of the better board sweepers like Radiant Flames don't kill this, and you can still sweep your opponent's board in the meantime. Um, and then once this thing transforms, you know, this is your beat stick. This is your win condition. This is a seven, eight. It is huge. Uh, and the fact that it can actually transform, I don't know if you thought about this, but this thing can transform basically as soon as you want it or whenever you want it to, uh, it transforms as soon as there are no more ice counters on it. So let's say your opponent goes into combat, maybe makes a kind of a reckless swing, and you suddenly cast even something like an Anticipate or a Fiery Impulse, flip over your 7-8, suddenly you've got this huge 7-8 to block whatever their biggest thing is, and you've blown your opponent out mid-combat with this thing. Um, not to mention that when it comes on the attack, you know, 7 power, that's a fast clock, a really fast clock. Yeah, it is. So it feels, to I mean, this is why I'm so excited about this card, it's just that it feels like this is the early action plus a late-game win condition that control decks have kind of been lacking. And in the meantime, we can, you know, we do have some decent weapons for control decks. Radiant Flames is a fantastic sweeper. Uh, we've got Grasp of Darkness now. Uh, that's a pretty decent removal spell at two mana. 
Um, we've got some other stuff like Ultimate Price, things that have kind of been on the outside looking in. Maybe this is suddenly an opportunity for us to be able to uh, to get some of those cards into use. But And we got our Flaying Tendrils back, our Drowning Hope back, too. Yeah, buddy. I do like that card a lot, actually, Flaying Tendrils. I think I like Radiant Flames just a little bit better to have the versatility. Um, oh, yeah. But if you're going to go just straight blue-black, I mean, you could do a whole lot worse than playing Tendrils into a Languish or something like that later on. So that is definitely not a problem I have. Yeah, that is what I'm hoping comes back, blue-black, because I played a blue-black dragon control when when um dragons came out. And, um, man, I love that thing, let me tell you. It was, it, it was so awesome because there were so many times I was able to ultimate Liliana Vess. Oh. And steal all my opponent's things, and they just cry. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's beautiful. That I mean, that's I mean, honestly, you have to be kind of a, a a little bit of a jerk to play control, just because it's like, you know, what do you love to do? You love to watch your opponent cry when you play control. I mean, that's just the way it works as a control player. But I'll I'll be the first to admit, I like to make my opponent cry with my with what I'm playing. That's perfectly reasonable. Oh yeah, it's fun. But um yeah no I I agree I I've liked thing in the ice um I'm still kind of iffy about it I'm just because I'm still not sure how it exactly is gonna do because it's easy to exile and you know the whole oh it dies to Doomblade thing you know type argument but I mean it's definitely a good early defender that's what I like especially against aggro yeah and for like you're saying control or even I mean I don't even know if Jess guy is gonna be a thing come in a straw but let's just say three color is still a thing you know it, it's it's going to be easy to flip it as well oh yeah and even if three color isn't a thing this thing could potentially be pretty easy to flip um if we just go back to a dual color format which honestly i'm kind of hoping we do me too uh, i i've i've had my fill of the the three to four color format it was fun while it lasted but i'm glad to see the fetch lands go, go and i'm really hoping the uh the uh you know, two color dual format comes back, but even in a two color deck, I feel like this is going to be decently easy to flip. Uh, and it might even actually be better in a two color deck because if you take out, um, one of your colors that you may have had from the previous set here, um, you're going to be needing some more early action. So I do think, I think thing in the ice could even be better in a two. It could make a two color control deck viable once again. So that way you're not splashing third colors. You're not putting this strain on your mana that control decks already have. Because, you know, if we if we miss our land drops as control players, there's not a whole lot we can do at that point. So, Pretty much. Yeah. So, I mean, that's why I'm, I'm just vastly excited for Thing in the Ice. But, uh, I mean, there are a couple other cards here that I think we could talk about that are that are pretty exciting as well. What do you think? Yeah. Um, let's see. When I first saw Relentless Dead, I guess I didn't understand what how good it was at first. Mm-hmm. Um, but it seems like, so far from what I can tell, it seems like it would be pretty good in like a zombie tribal type thing. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely, especially like mono black aggro. Oh yeah. Uh, what what's that one card? What was it? Risen Executioner. Risen Executioner. Yeah. When that card was spoiled, I actually went ahead and immediately snapped up four of them. Just pre-ordered them right away. I, I yeah. love zombie decks. I, I have a, a sick fascination with zombie decks. 
And seeing a zombie lord printed always gets me hoping that we're going to get another powerful zombie at some point later on down the road. And um, I think this is it, honestly. Relentless Dead is awesome. Uh, and to me, it's awesome just for not just for what it says on its tech bo- text box, but one thing it doesn't say on the text box. Which is what? This card doesn't say can't block. If you, oh, think, true, yeah. if you think back to original Zendikar, you know, we got as we had a zombie in uh, not original Zendikar. What am I saying? Original Innistrad. We got a zombie that kept coming back from the graveyard. That was Gravecrawler. You know, the two one that you could pay one black to return to the battlefield. Um, but he couldn't block. Relentless Dead can block. So this is a guy that you could even play just in a control deck even. I'm not saying you should. Double black is, is pretty hard on the mana cost unless unless you're planning on having some kind of, you know, if you're unless you're base black. But this guy attacks well. He's a 2-2 with menace, so that's not too bad. Uh, he blocks even better. And then if you do happen to have some kind of a zombie tribal sub-theme going on here, I mean, this is a powerhouse. You're pumping out zombies basically every turn with this guy in play. Um, but the but the fact that he doesn't have can't block and he can block, I think is the most exciting thing about Relentless Dead. Yeah, and he seems like he'd be pretty good to help Liliana flip too. Oh, um, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, now that I'm looking at it. And, you know, I'm hoping that Liliana, because Liliana Heretical Healer may have been my favorite of the Flippy Planeswalkers from Origins. I, I love her design. I love the fact that when she flips over, you're getting a 2-2 zombie along with that. And she, besides in a couple variations of the four-color rally deck, she just hasn't gotten the respect she deserves. Um, but I really think that, you know, if, if the past is going by, if we go by what happened in the past, Liliana's have definitely gotten their time to shine once we hit Innistrad. So I'm hoping, yeah. um, I'm hoping this gives Liliana heretical healer the chance to shine. And the fact that she makes a 2-2 zombie means that a deck that goes turn 2 Relentless Dead into turn 3 Liliana, it, I mean, that's a deck. We got a deck going right there already. And, and she's going to pump out zombies. She can return other zombies from your graveyard once she flips. Uh, you'll have Relentless Dead that can return other zombies or return itself. Uh, Risen Executioner returns himself. So there's there's a deck here, I think. And Relentless Dead may have been the piece that we've been missing for a while for a good zombie tribal deck. Yeah, I, I guess I can see that. It's um, like I said, definitely makes it seem exciting. And and even speaking of tribal, I hope that brings back, like you said, m- maybe monocolored decks and dual colored because that's always been one of my favorite things is being able to especially when i don't feel like taking fnm that seriously that week is building a quick tribal deck like like um goblins or something or elves or oh yeah for sure something like that and you know it there's nothing uh, there's nothing better feeling there's no better feeling in magic than knowing you're going to be able to cast all of your spells regardless of what mana you draw you're going to be able to cast all your spells that's one of the that's the real peace of mind i think that a monocolored deck brings you um and if we get enough decent tools i mean there may be some kind of a mono black aggro deck going on here even if it's not fully zombies i could i could see something going on here with a mono black aggro deck for sure oh yeah you get relentless dead liliana um no you wouldn't want kalidus kalidus 
it makes you exile things. Um, yeah, I mean, Kalidus wouldn't. I mean, Kalidus is a little bit of a non-bow there, but you know, think about it this way too: if Kalidus is your finisher, uh, that's a little more interesting to me. Like, say, if you build up a decent board of zombies, uh, you drop Kalidus, he lives for a turn. Oh wait, no, Kalidus makes the opponent exile. Oh, okay. does? Not, yeah, I was <gasps> saying it's Anafenza is the one that makes you exile regardless. Oh, well, even better. There you go. You got Kalidus to to, and Kalidus is your finisher because if you've got early drops or zombies, suddenly you're playing Kalidus. You can start pumping that guy right away, uh, and suddenly he turns into a as if he wasn't already a threat already. I mean, that's a that's a game ender in one or two turns if the rest of your field is zombies. Oh yeah. Uh, not only zombies, but damn, you can make a pretty decent vampire zombie deck, too. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Because you got Drana and then Kalidus. And have there been in, any other vampires in Innistrad yet? Uh, they seem good. There are always a couple um, things, ones that I think might be good. Uh, the Air of Falconrath doesn't look too bad, which is the, uh, it's a 2-1 for one and a black uh, with the text. Discard a card, transform Air of Falconrath activate this ability only once each turn uh and she transforms into basically a delver of secrets three two with flying um so not bad on the stats low drop vampire could be used to fuel some synergy there going forward and it turns into a you know a delver of secrets a three two flyer that's not too bad so uh you know we haven't gotten enough of the commons and uncommons yet where i think we're going to see some more of the ideas uh, with vampires they've got going on. But obviously vampires is a huge theme of this set in black yeah. and white specifically just because of Soren. Um And so that's going to be uh, – we're going to probably see some more vampires coming out eventually. Uh, but And I think most of them will be in the black and white color palette um, or or black-red because it seems like in Last Innistrad, black-red uh, vampire was uh, – the vampires seem to live more in black red in the last in the strat. So we'll see if yeah, that right. we'll see if that plays forward going forward. But um yeah, I I think there could be something there for sure. And speaking of a three two Delver, I definitely do like the flavor of the aberrant or aberrant or aberrant researcher. Yeah. It's sort of like it's sort of like the sequel to the Delver of Secrets. Well that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Oh, is it the actual same thing? Yeah, or? if you look at the card, um, Aberrant Researcher uh, is basically what... It's a human insect, so it is... Uh, insectile Aberration was the other side of Delver of Secrets. Delver of Secrets flipped into exceptile, Insectile Aberration. And uh, I'm glad you brought this card up, because this is another example, I think, of the really awesome flavor that Wizards does in Shadows. Because um, you've got... Basically, he turned himself into this bug creature back in the original Zendikar. Uh, Why do I keep saying Zendikar? <laughs> you got that on your brain. I do, man. It's terrible. I've been doing too many drafts. Um, so he did this to himself back in the original Innistrad, right? He turned himself into a bug. Well, now he's come back, and he's like, well, I'm a bug. This is great, but I need to, I need to continue to research this. I, I, it's not perfect yet. And you can see that by the uh, flavor text on the card, which says Metamorphosis, metamorphosis is a process. And that's laboratory notes is where that comes from. Uh, and if you look at his flip side, perfected form, uh, the flavor text on there says the final pages of the experiment log were blank. 
Investigators found it abandoned on a desk in the researcher's lab open, the pages flipping in the wind from a shattered window. So this literally is the sequel to Delver of Secrets. You know, this is him coming back and finishing what he started, creating himself into the perfected form. So flavor-wise, I mean, this card is a is a win. This is awesome. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you there. It's definitely, when I saw it at first, of course, me being the somewhat competitive player I am, I'm like, ah, oh, this is not good in constructed. It'd be good in draft. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> and, and then when I start really looking at it and, you know, looking at the art and all that, I'm like, oh, shit, it's an actual sequel, or it looks like it's a sequel. Oh, yeah. No, it definitely is. And like you said, this probably isn't a, a constructed playable card or... Uh, if it is, I will be very, very surprised. But you know, it's it's still it's still fun to kind of look at these these cool throwbacks that we're going to be getting to the original set and uh, and kind of see where R and D maybe was thinking about taking Delver of Secrets originally or or something like that because they always throw these little Easter eggs in there every once in a while, so it's fun to find them. Oh yeah, no, I enjoy it. Um, the other card that I like, and I'm not. And I'm still trying to figure out how it may work because, like I said, we still don't have the full set yet. But the one that has kind of piqued my interest a little bit is Elusive Tormentor. Oh, yeah. This guy's interesting. He's a little weird. Do you want to read him? Yeah, sure. He is a two-colorless double black, uh, so four cover Nubana costs altogether. If you pay one colorless, you can discard a card and transform Elusive Tormentor. And he actually flips over to a blue elemental Insidious Mist. And he has Hexproof, which means you can't target him. And he's indestructible, meaning he effects that say destroy, do not destroy him. And Insidious Mist can't block and can't be blocked. But whenever it but whenever it attacks and isn't blocked, you may pay two colorless and a black. And if you do, transform it back to the 4-4. Four, four. Right, so this guy's kind of weird, isn't he? I mean, I've never, I'm, I'm racking my brain to think if I could think of any card from original Innistrad that had this much going on, because this is this is a lot going on on a card, if you ask me. But uh, it's a, uh, the implications are really interesting here, right? Yeah, because it, if they are going to come out with any kind of cards or mechanics that have maybe an enchantment that whenever a card flips, X happens, you know, something like that. And that could make this card really good. I can't remember if they had anything like that in Innistrad or not. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm sure that that's a possibility. I mean, if you think about it, we've gotten instants and sorceries in the past that have made cards flip. Um, yeah. And we've also had, not necessarily with transform cards, but we've definitely had um, cards, I'm thinking back to uh, to Khan's block, uh, that cared about morph, you know, when this cre- or when something was unmorphed or when something was play- yeah. face down, we got extra effects like Trail of Mystery and stuff like that. Um, so I would not be surprised at all if we got something like that from uh, from Shadows Over Innistrad. But uh, Elusive Tormentor is interesting to me uh, because it's also a uh, a madness enabler, right? Oh yeah. So like. Did, I don't know. Were you playing when Madness was around originally? I don't even know when it was around originally. If, if I may, uh, if I may show the fact that I'm a little uh, uh, dumb when it comes to that, but you know, when was Madness around? <laughs> I can't remember right now. I'm 
I mean, I know, I know it was a really, really old mechanic um, that was pretty busted when it was around because it's still talked about in pretty, uh, pretty hushed hush circles. You know, like, oh, madness, that was a, that was a, may have been a mistake. I don't know. So the fact that they're bringing it back now, I mean, how, how good do we think madness is going to be? And uh, it was in um, torment was the torment. first time. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, that's all right. That was a lot. Holy shit. That was a lot. Look at <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so, I mean, how good do we think madness is really going to be? And we can't know without seeing the whole set, but if madness is good, how valuable are going to be cheap madness enablers? And if you think about it, this guy is a pretty cheap madness enabler. I mean, one colorless discard a card. That's not bad. Oh yeah. Like, um, Actually, the one card, the first card that got me really excited about Shadows of Innistrad at first was Lightning Axe, because when I first read it, I'm just like, holy shit! Not only is that really good for Jace, and just for everybody that doesn't know what Lightning Axe is, it's a one red mana instant as an additional cost to cast Lightning Axe, discard a card or pay five, you know, colorless mana, and Lightning Axe deals five damage to target creature. To me, that's just insane. Oh, yeah. As soon as you discard a card, oh look, you can you can discard a madness card and or yeah, is it madness or is it delirium that I'm thinking of? Uh, it's madness. Mad- no, no, mad, yeah, madness. And you know, right there, you discarded that madness card. Oh, boom, you could pay it. You know, for whatever its cheap cost is. Yeah, totally. And, and you know, especially since you bring up Jace, I mean, obviously. Even thinking back to original Innistrad, you know, the graveyard was such a huge thing in original Innistrad, and it looks like they're continuing that with Shadows, uh, and with bringing back Madness and giving us cards like Lightning Axe, um, or the other red burn spell, uh, Fiery Temper, which is, uh, you know, one red red, deals three damage to target creature or player, eh, not that exciting, but its Madness cost is a single red, uh, so it could actually be, if you're discarding that card, it's a Lightning Bolt. I mean, it is just straight up lightning bolt, three damage to target creature or player. Uh, you yep. pay its madness cost. So, you know, if madness turns out being really good, we're gonna want these cheap discard outlets. And elusive tormentor, I think you could go far worse than that. Because if they try to kill it, you'll be like, ah, well, I was gonna do this anyway. Pay one, discard a card, uh, discard my fiery temper, bolt something, um, and then. I've got this zero one indestructible. Your spell does nothing, you know. So it's. I think it's. Uh, I think a loose tormentor could be very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, like I said, so that card and the um, lightning axe so far have been pretty interesting. I know lightning axe was a reprint back in time spiral, but still, just that the fact that they're putting it back in just it makes me excited, especially with Jace being around. And... Yeah, and especially since they're putting it into a set that has Madness and has a lot oh, of, yeah. and even Delirium, which is the new mechanic that we've never had before. Um, you know, a card like Lightning Axe is is definitely on, should be on everybody's radar to be uh, to be real one to watch for sure. Yeah, so the other card you mentioned was the new Avison. Yeah, the new Avison, Archangel Avison. Um, so for those of you who may not know what Archangel Avison is, she's three white, white for a four, four, uh, with flash flying and vigilance. Uh, and honestly, we could stop right there and I would be totally happy. Uh, cause this is basically a flash Sarah angel. 
you know, the, the Flying Vigilance 4-4 used to be about as big and as awesome as it got in Magic back in the day with Sarah Angel. Oh, yeah. So, and the fact that this one has Flash is just ridiculous. Um, uh, you know, if we think about it right now, especially with, uh, with some of the rise of some of these new decks um, that have been coming around in Standard, like Bant Company, I know, has gotten very popular recently. Oh, yes. The bane of my existence from last night. <laughs> oh, no kidding. Oh, you're going to have to tell me some stories about that one because oh, yeah. it's not it's not a big deck in my local meta. But, you know, I've, I've been around to a couple of other uh, stores and, and it's uh, it's starting to catch on. A lot of people are saying it's one of the best decks in the format. Um, it's definitely really good. It's but it's yeah. I'm gonna... No, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say go on with Avis and we can talk about that after all these cards yeah no problem uh well well here's the thing with abison right and especially if band company is a thing uh going forward a lot of cards in that deck and in company decks in in general uh they top out at about three three you know three three has been kind of over the past couple months kind of where standard has lived when it comes to the faster decks you know three three is about as big as it gets uh, the fact that Avison is a four-four that flashes in and can just eat something in combat, uh, I'm sold. I'm sold at flash. Um, but we've got more text here. So when Archangel Avison enters the battlefield, creatures you control gain indestructible until you end of turn. Uh, and you'll notice it doesn't say other creatures you control like like some like some of these kind of cards have said in the past, or like the original Avison, Angel of Hope, said in the past. She said, other permanents you control are indestructible. Um, she gives herself indestructible, too. So you can flash her in in response to, uh, like, a planar cleansing, or not planar cleansing, um, oh, what's the uh, the Wrath of God variant we have right now? The planar outburst? That's the one. Thank you. I've been playing a lot of Commander, too, so planar <laughs> cleansing is on my mind at the moment. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, outburst. You can flash this. Uh, you can flash Avacyn in in response to that or a Crux of Fate, um, any big sweeper, and she will save not just your team but herself as well. Uh, so that's I think that's huge text right there. Um, I would be completely sold on Archangel Avacyn if, if that was all that was there, but there's even more because she flips this is the first time i think we've well this is definitely the first time we've had a big character like avison be a flip card so when a non-angel creature you control dies transform archangel avison at the beginning of your next upkeep and when she transforms uh she's avison the purifier which she becomes a six five flying and when she transforms into Avacyn the Purifier, it deals three damage to each other creature and each opponent. So Avacyn not only can save all of your guys if that's where you want. She's just so versatile. Like this, I look at her and I'm like, this card just screams versatility. Uh, either I'm going to play her onto a board where I need to defend my guys, eat something in combat, maybe eat their whole board in combat if I've got guys that will trade normally but are suddenly indestructible and if one of my guys happens to die suddenly i'm gonna have a six five flying beat stick on my opponent's turn i mean that seems uh that seems pretty nasty to me oh yeah definitely and it has the potential of doing a board wipe too yeah absolutely and it's not that hard right now to get stuff to die uh even if your opponent you know if you play avison 
And over the next couple of turns, your opponent's just like, well, now I can't kill anything because I can't beat a 6-5 in the air, which, you know, a lot of decks might have a lot of trouble with a 6-5 flying. Um, we've got so many ways right now, and we'll probably have other ways of just going ahead and sacking your own dudes to Flipper if you really needed to. Uh, one that comes to mind right away, Eile Eternal Pilgrim. Uh, she kind of just seems like she goes hand-in-hand with Avacyn in, in maybe like a white-black mid-range deck. Yeah, that's true. Uh, or like, uh, you know, we've got kind of the shell of a white-black deck already there. We've got stuff like Eilie. We've got Gideon. Uh, Soren's going to be rotating. But, you know, Gideon already, she's, it's, it's going to be spitting out two twos. Those die t- pretty easily. That's going to flip your Avacyn. She can flash in to save your two twos if they've got a board wipe. So she just screams versatility to me, and that is always exciting to me because she seems like something that you might want to play in a control deck as a flash threat. She's something you could play in a mid-range deck that can save your dudes. Uh, and then she, you know, she gets feisty. She gets six five is big. Six five is really big. Oh yeah, no, definitely. Um, let me ask you this: see if you know, because um, I I would I think I know the answer, but if you play Eldrazi Displacer. And you you exile her and put her back in. She comes back as the white variant, right? She does. Yeah. Uh, I mean, as far as I know, that's the way it works. Because um, you know, Eldrazi Displacer does exile, correct? It doesn't just yeah. it doesn't flicker. It exiles and then it returns to the battlefield that way. Um, so if I'm not mistaken with the way the transform mechanic works, no, I am mistaken there. I apologize. I was just listening to uh, Judge Cast the other day. They're going to exile and then return in whatever state they were in when they were exiled. Uh, oh, that's lame. Yeah, they've kind of changed the rule a little bit, and I think that's in particular to Jace, the way things exile when they transform. Um, but uh, yeah, so if she's if you displace her while she's in you know her red form, her angry form, uh, she's going to come back as that, but she will come back tapped. Um, so I, I honestly love Eldrazi Displacer. I can't wait to build with that card, but. You can also, if you're using Eldrazi Displacer yourself, flicker Abyssin to just keep giving your dudes indestructible as long as she stays on her white side. That's true. So that's a, another interesting... You know, enter the battlefield mechanics, especially when we have a good egg, a flickerer in the format, like, uh, like Eldrazi Displacer or Restoration Angel back in the day. Um, enter the battlefield effects tend to get a little bit more uh, rewarding and a little bit more... Uh, valued i think valued is the word i was looking for uh so i can definitely see that inner the battlefield ability being pretty uh pretty important going forward or could be you know it kind of just depends on how the format shapes out but any card like this that is this versatile that has implication of just being an absolute powerhouse always grabs my eye right away and i think gavison is definitely the epitome of that so far in the format yeah it's it it is pretty exciting card um i mean you, you already talked a lot about it i'm not sure if i have much else to add um it's gonna be i mean already i can i can already get a little excited about not only avison but archangel of tithes as well oh totally would, i mean talk would go well with it talk about a super powerful card that never saw its day you know yeah. archangel of tithes is an insane card and if you go archangel of tithes on four avison on five 
uh, I don't know really how too many of your opponents can come back from something like that. Yeah, that's true. It's um definitely going to make it tough if you can't get some sort of board wipe or exile exiling going on. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and like I said, we'll see how that goes. Now, one downside I will say to Avacyn, and, and which is why I might want to play her in a mid-range deck that allows me to sack dudes, um, is that she is a four. That she only does have four toughness, which means she does die to languish, um, which I think will be very relevant because languish is probably going to be one of the better sweepers we have going forward. Um, yep. So being able to find a way to get Avacyn safety from languish i think is going to be important and it's important to note that avison can't just flip like she doesn't just flip when something dies so even even having a sack outlet is not really going to save her from dying to a languish um because she does not flip until the beginning of the up, next upkeep no matter what um so unless they have a way to flip her that i'm not seeing here yet languish is going to be a problem for archangel avison for sure yeah, it will. Um, unless there's any kind of card that can... Well, no, because Regenerate... Yeah, Regenerate can help no. with minus... No, it wouldn't. But, um, I'm hoping we get something kind of like... Uh, if you remember from um, original Innistrad, the card Hollowed Moonlight. I I'm pretty sure that only worked for Werewolves, but it was basically just a one and a green for an instant. Transform all... I think it was transform all werewolf creatures or transform all human werewolf creatures. Um, so you could do that at instant speed. So it wouldn't make it something like that going forward. I don't know. Um, but uh, that'd be interesting to see in the future. But I definitely still am excited for Archangel Avacyn, and we'll see where she fits. Oh, yeah. She's already um, pre-ordering for, what, like almost 30 bucks? Yeah, it does not surprise right me. Now. does not surprise me in the least. I mean, she's big. She's flashy. She's a mythic. Pre-order prices on her are going to be through the roof. If I had to speculate, I don't think she'll be that expensive of a card going forward. So may want to hold off on that one. Oh, yeah, definitely. But uh, but we'll see what happens with Archangel Abyssin. Yeah, that's always one of my favorite things to do when a set comes out. Like I like watching the pre-order prices. And then as soon as the set comes out, they drop so quickly. <laughs> it's funny how that always works out, right? Yeah, like I... um. When Oath of the Gatewatch came out, I got um, I managed to get a foil Kozilek, oh. and and at the time Kozilek was what going for twenty thirty bucks or something. I and think so, especially the foil. the foil. Yeah, and and the foil was double that, and I sat on it for like two days too long, and it dropped like half the price. I'm like motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sucks. I don't mean to laugh at your misfortune, but oh, that's terrible. <laughs> No, I mean no. It's funny, but it's just like, well, shit. It's it's just it just goes to show like how volatile these cards are. Yeah, well, I mean the secondary market in general. I mean, and, and I think you said something about it on your last podcast how you wouldn't mind dropping, say, sixty bucks per Snapcaster Mage because you know those are going to hold their value. You know, this is a card that sees play in just about every format. Oh. And it's always going to see play until it gets banned, or, or if it gets banned. Never. It better. I hope. I'll, I don't. Think I'll so. be pissed. I don't. I don't think they could ever, in good conscience, ban Snapcaster Mage. Um, but you know, when you're looking at pre-order prices like this, you kind of gotta take a take a step back and say, okay, is this card really gonna be worth thirty bucks, or am I just am I just pissing money away at this point? Oh yeah. To me, the most important thing to always get 
when a set first comes out is always the mana base because you know so, what's going to happen as soon as the mana base, if it's even somewhat playable in other formats, it's just going to skyrocket. Oh, even if it's not playable in other formats, I mean, I can think of times in Magic's history, uh, even since I've been playing, where the, the dual lands were not great um, and have not seen any play going forward in any other format, but we're still at least 10 or 15 bucks a pop just because yeah, in like, standard you got to have a mana base i mean that's just the way it works yeah like the temples were a good yeah, example yeah exactly like the i mean i i like the temples they just were not as good as the shocklands or anything oh. but still even even when ravnica rotated out and it was i know at least i think two or three of the temples shot up over 10 bucks oh totally. i think it was the temple of epiphany and it's usually either the blue white one or the blue black one whatever control flavor yeah. is in style right then that's the dual land that's going to be the most expensive um yeah. it's just you know that's just a funny way that things work but uh you know we haven't seen any uh, we've seen some common dual lands spoiled so far in in Shadows of Innistrad, but we haven't seen the rare ones yet. And I'm thinking they're going to hold off on those for a little bit yet, but we'll see what comes of that. Yeah, what do you think else they could be doing? I mean, obviously we're not going to be getting fetch lands, and I hope we aren't going to be getting fetch lands for a while. Even though I would like to see them reprinted, it's just... I will not miss another standard of fetch lands no. for a while. Yeah, certainly not. I mean, if if they do another rare land cycle, which, uh, you know, they may or may not do. We, we've got the Tango lands right now, or that's what they've been calling them, the Battle lands, you know, those, the small march yeah. in those. Um, if we do get another rare cycle, I wouldn't be surprised if we got something similar to what we had in original Innistrad, which was kind of the, the buddy land system. Um I think some like the white black one was isolated chapel. Sulfur Falls was the blue red one, um, which was basically the center of the battlefield tapped unless you control uh, a, an island, another island or another mountain, you know, something like that. Not necessarily basics like the Tango Lands are, um, but the uh, if you just had another island or a mountain, this would come into play untapped. Otherwise, an inner battlefield tapped um, might get something like that again because. Uh, that didn't feel too busted back in original uh, original Innistrad, um, and so I could see something like that again, maybe. Yeah, I wouldn't mind that. Those aren't too bad. Yeah, but I mean, we'll see. I mean, they might have a completely new design that we haven't seen yet, and that would be that'd be pretty cool. I'd like to see something new when it comes to lands. Yeah, I just hope they aren't ridiculously overpriced. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Because my wallet hates them. Oh, right my now. wallet hates release season altogether anyway. So it, it doesn't matter how expensive the mana bases are. My wallet's going to hate me once this new set comes out. It always does. Yeah, I'm still I'm still a little bit on the fence about buying a box or not. It's um, it's I think I may change my mind when I see the whole set if there's something that excites me. Mm -hmm. You know, because especially with Zendikar, Zendikar or Battle for Zendikar had um you know, the chance of getting expeditions and all that. At least. Oh yeah, totally. And, um, and I loved the, the flavor of the Eldrazi and the Ulamog and what else Gideon and all that. So th those were all really fun. And, and right away I, I already got some ideas of what decks I wanted to build when Zendikar came out so far with Innistrad. I'm just like, ah, I don't know yet. It's, I'm still a little bit on the fence. Um, I'm going to be, I'm ex still excited about the rotation oh yeah especially about the rotation i mean that 
that could not come fast enough for me. I mean, trust me, I love Innistrad, have always loved Innistrad. Hopefully I'm going to love Shadows over Innistrad. I'm super psyched for it. Um, but I'm going to be, you know, you could take this set away from me now. Say we're pushing Shadows of Innistrad back three months, but rotation is still happening when it's happening. And I would be perfectly fine with that. Because just, just get Siege Rhino out of my life. Please get him out of my life. That's all I need right now. Yeah, Siege Rhino and Rally. I won't miss half the game being about shuffling. Yes, please. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love I love Fetchlands. I love having them, but I love having them in formats where it doesn't matter how much you're shuffling because the game's still going to be over in a couple turns anyway. You know, like, like yeah. Modern and Legacy. In standard, it just it still feel it feels like too much. For some reason, it just feels like too much. Yeah, especially now that the game has sort of devolved into four colored good stuff, Ugh. or even five colored good stuff. Thank you, bring to light. Yeah, just... yeah. I have I actually haven't seen that in my local game store. No one's no one's tried it out yet. See, maybe I've just got a weird local store. I mean, we've got at least two guys that have stuck with five color bring. Uh, basically since it was released. Um, but, I mean, these are guys that just love tutors in general. Like, you know, they build, like, the all-tutor commander decks and, and stuff like that. So I think just any excuse they had to have basically eight Siege Rhinos in their deck, they took it. But, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I've got one guy who plays nothing but Rally the Ancestors, or, I mean, the four-colored Rally. Yeah. And I played that deck for a few weeks, and it was fun. It was fun winning. But it was like one one, especially if I'm not going to a competitive REL event, I'm too lazy to remember all those triggers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then two, it's just I it I just didn't find it fun. I no, just... it feels like solitaire sometimes. I, I played the deck for a couple months back when it was first starting to get popular. And yeah. and it, it just felt like solitaire. It's like all right, I don't really care what you're doing because I'm gonna do my own thing. And eventually that's going to involve just me sacrificing all my guys, bringing them back and sacrificing them all again while you realize there's nothing you can do. So it's it, it's just not fun. I, I don't like it when my opponent doesn't get to play Magic and when I am just playing Solitaire. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with that sentiment to a point. Um, it's, to me, like I said, just to me personally, the deck wasn't very fun. Right. And I, I get the only two decks that I've really liked that I've enjoyed in this format have been Green Red Landfall and Eldrazi Ramp. Both are fabulous decks. I mean, both are Landfall especially can just be super explosive. I'm I'm surprised, honestly, that Landfall didn't get more attention than what it got. And maybe, you know, maybe something will happen where that deck suddenly becomes popular. Um, but there's a lot of explosiveness there. I mean, I've seen some pretty quick turn three, turn four kills using that deck for sure. Yeah, I've had a few of those. Um, I think my favorite win at an FNM was, um, I can't remember how it all happened, but the guy managed to, my opponent managed to get um, like up to 27 life or something. And I had two creatures out and... And if it was I, if I didn't kill him that turn, he would have you know killed me. And um, I managed to do exactly twenty seven damage with you know like three landfall triggers and teamer battle rage and titan strength and all this other crap. Oh yeah, it was just 
It was just hilarious. It's just way too much fun. <laughs> I mean, it really is. I mean, that's that's just the fun of, of playing a red aggro deck like that. It's just is holding the cards in hand, knowing, all right, if my one guy lives, you're dead. I mean, just let my one guy live, and you are just gone. There's nothing you can do. It's it's beautiful. I love it. Oh yeah, and the Eldrazi ramp deck that was just pure fun. Just um, because it, it's it's very bad against control, obviously. Right. And since there's not a lot of control going on, it sort of gives you just free reign to hey, I'm gonna play these giant creatures that can constantly exile your stuff, and you can't do anything about. And it. the scary the scary part is that you wind up casting um, uh, Ulamogs by like what turn five, turn six. I mean, you could. To usually turn six, I can get Ulamog out. Um, usually, if I'm lucky, I can get um. I've been able to get Ugin out by turn five. Oh, nice! And oh, yeah. And it, especially if they're playing um aggro or you know four color bank company, it's just oh Ugin's out. Okay, your board's gone. And at that point, it's basically, you know, scoop up your cards, go to game two. Because if an Ugin lands and it's unanswered, especially for a creature based deck like that, it that's it. It's over. Don't even try. Oh yeah, and when Oath of the Gatewatch came out, oh man, Worldbreaker just did wonders. I was going to ask you deck. how you felt about Worldbreaker because I've got one or two guys at my local store that really like the the Green Red Eldrazi, um, or just the Eldrazi ramp in general, and they're kind of split on Worldbreaker. One of them says it's the best card that they could have possibly printed for that deck, and the other guy doesn't even use it. Um, Oh, what, does he use a Tarka instead? Yeah, or? he stuck with the Tarka, um, and then he put in four copies of Flot um, uh, Seer and four copies of uh, uh, Kozilek's Return. Um, and he was just like, I don't really need anything else on my top end. Four Breaker answers things that I was already answering. I don't really care. Um, but I was wondering, since you're a player of the deck, where do you kind of fall on World Breaker? Do you like it? Uh, it's definitely a playset of it's um, it's won me games to where even if they manage to counter it, it still I'm still able to exile their lands and then I can return it back to my hand and then cast it again and exile more of their stuff. It's e- e- like I said, even if it doesn't live on the battlefield, the fact that I can slowly chip away at their lands or their enchantments or or whatever or their artifacts, it just makes it all the more value. Atark is good since it can, you know, help wipe up the board, but you know, once Atark is dead, that's it. There's no getting it back unless you have Haven of the Spirit Dragon. You're right. Exactly. And with Thought Not Seer, um, I've tried it out. While it's a good card, I feel like it doesn't warrant a playset mm-hmm. because I I honestly would rather have a playset of Sylvan Advocates for that um, aggro for the aggro matchup because though since it's so easy to get six lands in that deck you know you're gonna have a four or five by turn four pretty oh much. absolutely and, and sylvan advocate i think is gonna see its day in the sun going forward as well that card is way too good not to get just absolutely busted going forward oh yeah it's it's a very good at, at least for the eldrazi ramp it's a very good defender uh, that's pre- pretty much all i use it for oh yeah. and um and I've started experimenting with taking out Ugin and putting in Chandra Flamecaller, and holy crap, is she Oh, good. she's so good. I mean, and right now I'm playing a, uh, a Grixis control deck, 
um, that has three of her at the top end. And she's, I mean, if, if that card goes unanswered, it feels like Ugin. I just win. Uh, and it's, it's rare that I get a planeswalker that, that I'm that excited about, but I think Chandra is, is fantastic. And I cannot wait to see post rotation, just how good she really is. Um, but I'm super excited about her. Oh yeah, she's been she's probably my favorite Chandra that I can think of. Definitely one of the top ones. Uh, I can't think of too many Chandras that have just been as game breaking as she is when she hits the board. Oh yeah, yeah. Because other Chandras, um, I I'd have to look them up. They've always just been like, yeah, they're good to have. I mean, they're definitely good if you pull one in draft or sealed. But it just feels like in constructed, it's like, yeah, she's good, but eh, there know. was always something just a tad bit better. And I think where older Chandra's kind of suffered is they, when they came down, there wasn't a need to answer her right away. Um, like probably, yeah. probably the best Chandra before this Chandra was Chandra Pyromaster, um, which I think her plus one, uh, her plus one was ping something for one, I think, the one damage to target creature. Her minus was uh, kind of like an outpost siege effect. Exile a card, you can play it this turn. Or she may have had two pluses, I can't remember. Or that may have been a zero ability. Uh, either way, it was like, all right, she's cool, but she's not doing, she's not putting so much pressure on my opponent that they have to answer her right now. Yeah, and there's better things you could be doing at that point. Exactly. A lot of time, especially if you're playing aggro, you know you're you're not gonna really want her in an aggro deck at the time when she was in standard. Right. It's there. There's better cards you could be doing, like Stoke the Flames. Oh yeah. When it was last in, or you know, Lightning Strike twice or something. Yeah. But, Always better options, but this Chandra I think does put that kind of pressure because either you're gonna be sweeping the board, you're gonna be drawing a whole bunch of cards, or you're gonna be slapping your opponent for six damage to the face. So I mean she just warrants an answer right then. Uh and if you can't answer, well, she's gonna take over the game one way or the other. Oh yeah, definitely. So how was your um F and M last night? It was good. It was good. Uh like I said, I played a Grixis Control, um, which is a deck I've been kind of tinkering around with for a little while. Uh like I said, because Chandra, I feel, is is one of the stronger cards in the format right now, uh, backed up by some blue counter spells, uh, Jace and Kalidus. I feel like I just had a... There, I felt like there was something there for control decks, and, and even though control decks aren't super strong right now, uh, I wanted to give it a shot. Um, wound up going 3-1. Uh, I was happy with the deck. I'm going to make a couple of tweaks here and there and, and see how things go going forward, but uh, I like the deck. Uh, and I'm hoping that uh, Shadows of Raider Stride gives me some uh, some new weapons to play with. And I, I think Thing in the Ice is going to be a four-up in this deck for sure. Oh, yeah, that sounds cool. I tried doing Grixis Dragons at the beginning of Battle for Zendikar, and that did not go over very no. well. <laughs> Sadly, no. I, you know, and I have seen a couple of, of Grixis Dragons variants that are just basically splashing blue onto the red-black dragon's plan. Um, Pretty much. And just... Eh, not not super impressed, but it's out there, so it's got to be doing somebody some good. But yeah, not super impressed. Yeah, I gave up that deck like after two weeks. I'm just like, yeah, I'll, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> and I went back to my landfall deck. Can't say I blame you, not one bit. Yeah, so I went last night and I played Jeskai Dragons, and 
I really liked the deck. It was really fun to play, but I only stayed for two rounds because I was just exhausted uh, uh, last night. Like I was just, I lost both rounds, and they they were, but both both games they were really really close. It was um I went one and two on both. Oh man, was, yeah, both both of them ended in a top deck war. So heartbreaker. So uh, tell me a little bit, just briefly, if you want to, what what is that deck? What do you got going on with it? That sounds interesting. Well, I. I can bring up my deck list right yeah, now. Yeah, shoot. Hold on. Let me just load it up. I, I got Cockatrice. Loaded. Gotcha. All right. So I run two Ojatais, two, uh, a playset of Jace, playset of Mantis Rider, and a playset of Thunderbreak. Those are all my creatures. And then I got um for my spells are four Dig through times, one Dispel, four Draconic Roar, two Fiery Pulse, four Jeskai Charm, Four Silimgar's Scorn, and then one Roast, and then my land is a hodgepodge of, you know. Yeah, like like every uh, band of bases nowadays, just a hodgepodge of fetches yep. and duels. Pretty much, I run twelve duels. I mean, not duels. Um, fetches. Gotcha. So, and then up my sideboard is two Disdainful Stroke, two Dispel, one Fiery Impulse, two Valorous Stance. Um, one Chandra, two Duress, one Painful Truce, two Radiant Flames, and two Roast. Radiant Flames is really, really good as a sideboard card. In it game. is, it is. As a matter of fact, uh, in that Grixis deck that I've been playing, I run it mainboard, um, just because I feel like it's uh, it's it's very well positioned right now. Um, you know, a lot like I said before, a lot of the creature decks are hinged on about three power. There's not too much that's above that. So Radiant Flames is just I think immediately where you want to go if you want a fast sweeper. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, it's um. I like this deck. I want. I'm gonna try it again. I might. This may be the deck I play until rotation happens. Um. And I'm I'm not sold on Jeskai Charm yet. The only thing I like going that it has going for is just the direct damage <laughs> it can do. Um. But I've seen lists going back and forth between Fiery Impulse and Wild Slash. And while Wild Slash may have won me some games because it can damage the player as well, but I just feel like Fiery Impulse, since it can turn into a lightning bolt very easily, it just, I can't give that No, up. and especially in a format where we've, we've still got specifically Mantis Riders flying around. You, know, yeah. you want your one mana, you, you want your lightning bolt to be able to hit uh, a Mantis Rider. Um, cause that card is just so hard for a lot of decks to answer, but, but fiery impulse definitely answers that question. And I think if, if you look at the statistics of it, I would be very, very surprised if the amount of games won by a wild slash to the face were any different than the amount of games won by fiery impulse, your Jace on turn one or turn two, you know, that's, uh, yeah. I, I would be very shocked if those, uh, if those numbers were not in the fiery impulse camp. Um, I've always been more partial to Fiery Impulse myself, but uh, I mean, like I said, I do see the argument for Wild Slash, but I'm with you. I like the Fiery Impulse better. Yeah, I just like the Lightning Bolt it can yeah. do. And um, the two decks I went up against, I went up against um, Bant Company, which, oh, geez. It, it, the, the Game 3 ended in a top deck war, so that was just... Oh, that was painful. He, we were, we both got down to one. Ooh, and oh, <laughs> and if, 
And if I had just drawn a mantis rider or just something, I was like, I just kept on, I got land flooded and I'm just like, yeah, that, 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 that what happens. a drag. Oh man. <laughs> I hate that. <laughs> and then, um, the next round it was up against a Tarka red and I'm just like, Oh God. That, you know, why is that? You know, honestly, I have the exact same reaction. As soon as people go like, Turn one, Mountain Swift Spear. That's my reaction. It's just roll my eyes. Oh, God, here we go. E- either he's going to be so fast that I can do nothing, or I'm just going to blow him out with my first sweeper. You know, it's just, <laughs> I don't know why, but that's always, I have always the same reaction to Mono Red. It's just, oh, God, all right, here we go. Here's the coin toss, you know. Yeah, it, that's pretty much what it is. And my reaction's more of a, it's like, well, this is going to be really fast, or this is going to be painfully slow because i'm gonna stop everything exactly exactly (laughs) (laughs) so it's and sometimes i don't mind losing that fast because then it gives me time to either go get some food or you know go see or go talk with some friends exactly yeah no i mean that's there's nothing wrong with losing quick if you're gonna lose i'd rather lose quick than lose long oh yeah because i'm like you i like playing control a lot um I'm kind of I've I've been kind of sad that there hasn't been a really good control deck this format so far, and because um, blue black control in the last standard was probably one of my favorites in a long time. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. And uh, but the only thing I don't like playing about control is how many times you go to yeah, time. especially if you wind up hitting the mirror match. Um, you know I like. I oh, love God. playing control decks, but I it's very rare that I will take a control deck to a major tournament like a, a, a GP or um, an IQ, something like that, uh, just because yeah. I, I don't want to face the mirror. I hate playing control mirrors. It's the worst thing in the world, and you know you're going to go to time. And, of course, you know that that's going to be like the one match where you're like, I just want to go get a sandwich, and I can't do that right <laughs> now, and it's driving me crazy. Yeah, uh, I know exactly what you mean. So do you go to many um, competitive REL Uh I do when I can. Um, you know, being a, being a parent of two kids and uh, having a full-time job, it's hard to travel as much as I would like to. Um, but, you know, one, once or twice I get a few down here in the southeast where I can, uh, I can hit up a tournament now and then, and um, I'll definitely try to hit everyone that's with or any of the big ones that come to uh to florida florida's my home state uh, oh no, no yeah. shit. i'm i'm in florida oh no too. way where at um hernando oh, county Oh, okay you're not too far off from me i'm in ocala so marion county oh. oh okay so yeah you're north you're right yeah exactly um but yeah so i mean i'll hit the big ones when i get a chance like uh i went to gp miami last year and that was a lot of fun um but uh, and then we've got some stores around us, and especially north of us in Gainesville, that'll run some IQs and um, PPTQs and stuff like that. So I try to get to them whenever I can, but uh, I'm not in a place where I can travel long distance or anything like that right now. Oh yeah, that's me too. I'm um, I try to go to at least one big event once a month if I can. Yeah, it. and it's um, for me, it's just a time thing because I have a pretty demanding job and um i'm a network engineer by day and a magic player by night so yeah, just, just like today i i actually had to i had to go into the office today and do some work and 
I'm just praying that everything goes well on Monday because we just made a major change to the network and uh, oh god, that's all you can do, man. <laughs> that's all you can do. I, I worked with computers or a long time. I was in IT, um, and thank God I don't do that anymore because the, the stress of installing a new system or a new program and just praying the whole thing wasn't destroyed by the time you came back to work was uh, too much for me. But. <laughs> Oh, yeah, no, I I really love what I do. It's um it's a lot of fun, but um one things that makes it stressful is I work for a radiology company, and um since they're basically you know it they work for hospitals too down here, and since you know hospitals are twenty four seven, I'm twenty four seven exactly. As well, so. Oh man, that's gonna be stressful. So yeah, it's stressful. It's it's not too bad actually. Um. I mean, there there are perks and benefits to it, but it's just, and what sucks with being on the network team is everything you do is only after hours. Oh man, pretty much. that's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's it's I tried I try to stretch it out though. I try to do you know a few things a month. I try not to do it like every day and all that. And it's um and as it's I I still enjoy yeah, it. And it's that's fun. the good thing too. As long as you love what you do. Uh, I mean that's that's the part that matters, right? You're getting fulfillment, and you're getting some love out of what you do. Uh, it doesn't matter what that is to me. I say go for it. Oh yeah, it's just what I always find funny, and um, my boss brings this up because you know I I don't I don't know how much money my company makes. It's you know up in the millions and millions of dollars they make, and it's like he'll make a joke, and it's like well you know we control this entire company as far as the the backbone of the company goes. It's like if we fuck up, you know, it's all <laughs> it's like all all this money would go down the drain. I'm like, oh, yeah, no pressure. Yeah, Thanks. really. That That's fantastic. <laughs> Thank you, boss. <laughs> no, but it's like we, we just joke around like that. And it's just and we'll do the um the YOLO, you know, you only live yeah. once where it's like, well, I'll be making a change in the middle of the day that could potentially bring something down. But I know it actually won't. So I'll just like. And our level one help desk and level two guys, they're always like, oh, great, we're going to get, like, bombarded with calls. Because I'm just like, oh, guys, you may be getting calls. YOLO, I'm, I'm doing something. It's like, oh, no, what the, what are you doing? Like, don't worry about it. I love it. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. It's always funny to screw with them. But, no, they, they, they're good. Yeah. Help desk guys, you know. That's awesome. Yeah. It's fun. I was on the help desk for a while, and then. I decided to get out of it and go into networking. That's and it's it's pretty hard. It's I always feel like one day, you know, because I I have to work with a lot of other hospitals and stuff, and I feel like one day these other network engineers that I talk to they're going to catch on and know that I don't really know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like you know some of what you're doing at least. I mean, and yeah, no, confidence in yourself, man. You got this. <laughs> Oh no, I know, but it's just always funny because, you know, I have to. You have to be all professional oh, and yeah, stuff, yeah. And, and I'm just thinking to myself, yeah, they're gonna catch on to my <laughs> bullshit. I swear, they're, they're they know. <laughs> so what do you do? What do you do for? Well, a job? you're gonna. I mean, you may laugh at me, but I'm actually a farmer. Uh, I've got my family has had a uh, orange grove up here in Ocala for a long time, and uh, oh, yeah. Wow. So when I left, uh, uh, like I said, I was working in IT for kind of a major. Uh, a major uh, mobile um, network. I won't buzz market them because I, I hated that job and I burned a lot of bridges when I left. Um, 
But um, I left that job and I kind of came back to this area. My family was from this area and uh, I got offered, you know, if I wanted to join up with the family company. So now uh, I drive a tractor basically for a living out here in the orange groves, but um, I love it. Uh, I never thought I would, um, but being outside every day is great. And uh, having a chance to kind of be, it's only me and, and really three other guys that work the property out here. So it's, it's great to be out there with my own thoughts. And uh, I build a lot of mental magic decks while I'm out there too. So that's a lot of fun. Well, <laughs> how, how, um, how big is the property? Uh, the property itself is about 1,500 acres. Uh, the Grove the Grove property is, I think, about one, uh, 325 of that. Um, but uh, but uh, that's, uh, that's about where it sets there. Uh, it, it's a blast, and, and the property itself is beautiful. Uh, I love it. Yeah, see, that's one thing I miss when I was in college and working, you know, restaurant jobs or you know, jobs where I was constantly on the go and outside and doing stuff. It's, I, I miss that. It's while I enjoy what I do, it's, I'm just sitting in front of a computer eight to 10 hours a day. And it's, you know, I try to go to the gym as much as I can. And it's still, it still gets tiring, even though I'm doing a lot of mental work, sure. but it's still tiring. Just like sitting down all day. Oh, for sure. Like it, yeah. It's, it's, I, I miss like, you know, being active more. You know yeah, I mean. and the cubicle just got to me after a while. I, I needed some open space, and, and this job really provided that for me, and I'm I'm loving it. I'm loving it. So we'll see how it goes. But How long have you been doing that? Uh, this will be three years that I've been doing that, going on three years. Oh, wow. Like, so what do you guys um, just grow? Is it just mainly oranges? It's all or? oranges. Yeah, the entire, uh, the entire grove is. We used to grow grapefruit and some tangerines, stuff like that, but uh, we've basically gone where the money was and that was full into oranges. Um, so that's what we've been doing since then. But, um, yeah, it's great. It's great. What was that thing that happened a few years ago with the oranges where, um, crap, where like a lot of the trees or the fruit were getting like sick or that's still going on actually. Uh, yeah. Is it's it? a greening disease is what they call that. Um, yeah, 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 no, that's still a huge problem. Uh, it's, uh, it's run a lot of growers out of business. Uh, We've been uh, we've been doing all right. Um, I think mostly just because of how far north we are, but we've definitely felt the effects. Uh, we were down uh, a good percentage uh, on our crop this year, and uh, and we're hoping to recap some of that on our next crop. But um, they're they're doing what they can. I know the uh, at the state and federal level, even we're starting to get some attention and and get some help from the USDA and stuff like that. So. Hopefully, uh, hopefully something will come from that soon. But it, it's still a big problem. Um, it just basically causes the tree to not mature uh, and drop its fruit. Yeah. Um, and so the the crops have been down, and the trees are are very weak. Um, but so it, it's a major problem still. I'm hoping something will come quick to help us. But uh, yeah, we're we're fighting that, uh, throwing everything, including the kitchen sink, at it. So. Is there anything you guys can do to combat it, or is it just you have to wait for like a quote unquote cure for that? Uh, it's it's basically waiting for them. Well, if for a while it was waiting for them to figure out what it even was, and, and now they think it's bacteria, so now it's just up to them to come up with some kind of a bacteria side or something like that that can get in there and take care of it. Um, and in the meantime, we're doing what we can, you know, putting nutritionals on the trees and and fighting it the best we can, but. 
but that's basically what we've got. Yeah, because I've noticed um, I have a, uh, I, I don't know if it's an exactly orange tree. I don't know what it is, but I mean, it grows, I, they're not really oranges, but they're sort of like tangerines or something right outside, oh, yeah. right outside my house. And yeah, I've noticed that in the past few years, like that tree's just completely died. It used to be so full of fruit and then it started greening. And then, yeah, it, it was. Dumb. Yeah, no, everybody's getting it. I mean, nobody's immune to it. And that's the scary part. Um, and, and that's the part that they're afraid is really going to cripple the, the Florida orange business. But like you said, even, even trees that are not in a big grove, uh, where they're around other sick trees are getting sick. I mean, just, just trees out in people's front yard. Uh, a buddy of mine has got a, a big navel tree in his backyard, uh, that was going great. And then one day he just stepped outside and it looked like it was dying and, and then it was gone. It was the weirdest thing. Um, yeah. What do you, what do you think it could be? Could it be something because you know they spray a lot for mosquitoes could it be anything related to that or is it just well there was something... a bug that they think was carrying it which is like a psyllid uh which is you know just a very f small flying insect um they think yeah. that is the transmitter for it and they think the disease itself is caused by a bacteria um we i know that there's some antibiotics that are in the market right now to treat the trees that already have it and then we, we spray uh, or the state also sprays fogs for these psyllids and kind of keeps track of their numbers to see uh, to see if they're going up or down and and um, and making sure that they keep the population low to try to contain the spread. Um, but even then, they're not even 100 percent sure that that is what is spreading the disease. That's the best guess that they've got. So it, it's still, you know, it, it's it's weird. I, I wish I had more answers, but, you know, this is basically the answers we're getting from the state is nobody knows. You know, do what you can to fight it, but nobody knows. And we're we're doing the best we can to figure out what's going on, but nobody knows right now. And I'm like, great, that that really helps us, the grower. But uh, wow. yeah, we're we're doing all we can to stay afloat until we get something figured out, and hopefully something will come down the road. I hope. Yeah, um, you don't have to answer this next question, but I guess I'm just curious: who do you? sell your crops to or is it just sort of like split up or distributed to for us we do uh, a third we we will normally sell through a middleman who will then sell to uh either a packing house or a, a juice processing plant um that's the best way we found works for us uh obviously there are people that do it other ways um but you know we sell by the box to somebody who then sells for a, a different price and then we will get uh, what they call a rise, which is a percentage back on that if they sell it for more than they then basically they bought it for. Um, so uh, we do it through middleman, but there are a bunch of different ways to do it. Okay, that's interesting. but because uh, I, I know I hear about um I, I don't know how prevalent it is in Florida, but I know I hear you know, how other farmers sell you know, mainly to the government and they get subsidized, you know, pricing from it and get so much help from, I was just curious if it was something like that you guys did. Yeah, no, we don't do that. Uh, I definitely have neighbors in the business that do do that, but, uh, but I, I haven't seen that happen before, but we don't. That's good. Yeah, nice. yeah. Well, Hey man, I've loved the, the chat, but I've got to get going. If that's all right, I've got, um, I've got kids that are ready for, midnight feedings and uh and my brother's in here doing a weird dance trying to get me to come downstairs so <laughs>
Oh, no problem. No, I forgot you've got a two-month-old. So, yeah, you've got you've got a baby to take yeah, care of. Yeah, man. But, I, I, hey, listen, I'm really appreciative of, of you letting me come on and talk to you about this. And hopefully uh, hopefully, I've piqued your interest a little bit further in Shadows, and we'll see what comes uh, comes on down the road once we get the whole set. Yeah, no, it's um definitely you, you've got me a little bit more pumped up for it. We'll just have to wait and see. And um, I need to bring you on for when I do my um, all my formats. Yeah, too. absolutely. I have to definitely bring you on for limited and standard. Absolutely, man. You just ring me anytime. I will be more than happy to talk magic. All right. Awesome. All right, man. Well, thanks a lot. You have a good night now.